you've been here on Wednesday nights especially, uh, we've mentioned several times, and even in some of the Sunday morning services, <clears throat> about the, the danger that there is of measuring ourselves by our distance from the world, our separation from the world. And our separation from the world should never be the measuring rule or the standard that we measure our lives by. But rather we should come to the Word of God and we should measure our life and how it lines up with the Word of God. And so the reason we have expressed for this, and we've mentioned it several times, is if we continue to measure ourselves by how far we are from the world, uh, the Bible teaches us that the world is getting worse and worse. And if all we ever do is keep our distance from the world, then we are also continuing to get worse and worse. If you will, look with me in Second Thessalonians in chapter number 2, and I want you to notice what Paul writes here in verse number 3. He says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, that son of man be re- uh, that man of sin may be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is called God, or that it was worshipped, so, uh, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Speaking here of the last times and the end times, and how that our world is eventually going to get to a point where Antichrist is going to be able to come on the scene and claim that he is the Messiah. And people will have strong derision. The Bible teaches us that there will come in the last days scoffers that uh, will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and wanting to have their ears tickled and and, uh, things that help comfort them. And uh, I look at it as the social gospel that we have out there today. Uh, where people uh, try to make you feel good. You know, you come and we'll give you that good feeling uh, service. Now, I think that we can always come together as God's people and as Baptists, and we can rejoice in our salvation. Amen? And we can rejoice in who God is, and we can get excited, and there is nothing wrong with that. And I think there are times we leave church, and boy, we ought to be just stirred and on fire for God and excited about things. (coughs) But can I tell you this? There are also times the Bible says that the Bible is profitable for reproof and for correction. And there are times that we ought to come to Scripture and there ought to be a pricking in our hearts. There ought to be a conviction. And uh, so, so understand this, that I, I'm not saying that, that church ought not to be something that can bring joy to our hearts. But when you get to the point where all that you want from the preaching services are things that are agreeable to your sinful condition, then something's wrong with the preaching service. And the reason is it has drifted from what it once was. I heard a preacher say this, or was reading this uh, actually a while back, and I wrote it down. Uh, a fellow that had said this, he said, In the midst of a world that is screaming for answers, Christians are stuttering. And, and I, I say that to our shame because the truth is the Bible teaches we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not to be ashamed. And the truth is we've not studied enough and we've not prepared ourselves enough for the proclaiming of God's truth. And that is what our goal is in this life once we're saved, to take the truth of God and to proclaim it, to uphold it, to defend it, and to take it to a lost and a dying world. And we're living in a day where Christians have been caught unprepared. We've had such uh, 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 ease of freedom and religious liberty for a couple of hundred years now that we have gotten to the place where we no longer uh, strive and labor and struggle to study and understand uh, the Scriptures well enough to give a defense of it and to try to take it to a lost and a dying world. 
<clears throat> there was a mission statement that uh, I want to read to you. And the mission statement was of a particular organization, and this was their mission statement. It says, To be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. Would anyone like to take a guess as to whose mission statement that is? Let me read it again. To be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. Who? Okay, well, there's a mission statement that an organization in this world today has, it, they've adopted, or they had this mission statement. Anybody want to take a guess at who it was? Harvard College. Harvard College wrote this as their original mission statement in 1636. That the end of all their studies, the whole purpose of what they were training men and women in the, in the college to do, the end of all of it was for them to know God and Jesus Christ. If you go on Harvard College's School of Theology today, you'll find that they have uh, links and references to finding your answers in Islam and finding your answers in Buddhism and all the different uh, cults and religions that are out there today. And the truth of the matter is somewhere in the last 300 years or so, uh, we have seen a drift in that college, haven't we? The truth is we would not at all call that a Christian college in this day and age. So, so we've dealt with this thing. We've talked about this idea of, of drifting right along with the world. And that's the danger. I, I'll be honest with you. We've got enough people here today that are old enough to remember a time when it was safe to leave your front doors unlocked. It, when it was safe to ride your bikes around town when you were a kid. We don't live in that kind of day and age anymore. I mean, to, when I was a kid, there was a small little area of town that you didn't go there after dark because they, they had drugs and, and violence and things going on there, but it was about a three or four square block area. The rest of the town was fine. Now you can't go anywhere without being worried about those things. Our churches that used to uphold and stand for the Bible and God's Word and the standard of conviction that we used to have on pure doctrine and on the purity of God's Word and on the purity of a holy life and living a life that is pleasing to God and an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ, those churches have long since deviated. And we're at the point where even people that I used to go to college with that are pastoring churches today, I look around and I see how many of them have gone the way of the seeker-friendly churches. I've seen them, as I've watched them, as they've begun to compromise on God's Word and on God's doctrine. And I wonder so often what causes all of that. And we've taught on that, we've preached on the, the danger of drifting and, and talked about how we need to keep our lives lined up with God's Word. And so this afternoon, I want to give you four things that you can do to help. And these are things from God's Word. I want to give you four things that will help to keep you from drifting, all right? Four things that will help keep you from drifting. The first one we find in 1 John chapter number 2. If you hold your Bibles there, I have your Bibles there, turn with me. 1 John chapter number 2. <clears throat> 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 15. Very familiar passage of Scripture. Many people have this memorized and quote it quite often. And the verse says this, Love not the world 
Neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. I want to say this, the first thing that you and I can do that the Bible teaches we can do to keep our drift from happening is that we have the right affection. Hold your place here for a moment. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. Turn with me to Colossians, the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians, chapter number 3, and verse number 2, Paul writes this. I'll back up to verse 1, and we'll read it within the context. He says, If ye then be risen with Christ. So who is he speaking to here? Who is it? Christians. He's speaking to those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now notice verse 2. Set your affection on what? On what is it? On things above, not on things on the earth. The first thing we've got to do in order not to drift is to have the right affection. To have the right affection. We live in a day where even God's people, Christians, young people especially, are are so prone to this, although the truth is even adults have a problem with this, we tend to love the world and the things that are in the world. Uh, we, we get the mindset that, boy, I don't want to be different. I want to be like everybody else. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to seem strange. I don't want to be peculiar. I'm thankful that Titus chapter number 2 says that God separated unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. I'll tell you right now, you and I, if we love the Lord the way we ought to, we're going to be peculiar. There's going to be something different about us in this world. People are going to look at us and they're going to say, wow, what in the world is that guy? Well, he's a Christian. What in the world is that lady right there? Boy, I'll tell you what, uh, she's got the right affection. She's got the right, her, her focus is on the right things. We live in a day where we have our affection set on the things of this world. We allow the appetites of the, of the flesh nature. And understand this, that when we get saved, the Bible says, and you have the quickened, the word quickened means to make alive, who are dead in trespasses and sins. We were under the law of sin and death before we got saved. But the Lord Jesus Christ quickened us. He made us alive. If, uh, if any man be in Christ, the Bible says he's a new creature. We talked about in the earlier service. Uh, he's a new creature. Something is born anew inside of us. And there's something there that wasn't there before. But can I tell you this, that while the old nature is, should be crucified with Christ, the truth is it still is there and it still is in existence. And Paul said, when I would do good, evil is present with me. There are times that we still have that temptation and there's the draw and there's the enticement and there's the pressure of the world upon us. We live in a society among sinners and, and people that, were, that, are, that are the same way that we used to be before we got saved. And the, the, the temptation and the draw and the enticement is to enjoy the season, uh, the pleasure of sin for a season. And, and, and John says this, that we're not to love the world Neither the things that are in the world. In fact, he goes on to say, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's going to change some things in our life, isn't it? There's going to be some some things that we put into place in our inner man, in our character, that we're going to say, I know that I want to do this, But I am not, because I do not want to love the things of this world. I want to have the right affection. 
I'm not going to hang posters of people in this world that are my worldly heroes. I'm not going to listen to the music that is of this world. I'm not going to dress like them, even if I could. I'm too fat for most of the styles, but even if I could do it, I would not do it. Why in the world would I want to look like I'm still living under the law of sin and death? I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm a new man. And I will not drift on this if I have the right affection. If my goal is on things above, not on things on this earth. If my affection is not to love the world or the things that are in the world, but that my affection is set on the things of God. Boy, when the preacher announces there's going to be special revival services, do we say, oh, not again? Or do we say, man, I can't wait. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there 30 minutes early. I'm going to greet the people coming in. I want to be there before the evangelist gets there. And I'll tell you what, and then, boy, I'll tell you what, he's going to preach, and he's going to say, I'm sorry I took so long, and I'm going to be like, what? It's over already? I mean, we ought to go another hour. Amen. Okay, good. We'll stay here then. And, uh, but, you know, in all honesty, folks, and I'm not trying to be facetious about this, where's the love for God? Where, where's the excitement for the things of God? We get pretty excited about the things of the world sometimes, don't we? We'll go to ball games. We'll, we'll listen to music. Uh, <laughs> we have certain people that flop on the ground when they hear a certain song. And uh, you, you hear stuff like that going on. Where's our love for God like that? Where, where's the passion for desiring to follow after God? We live in a world that the affections are all topsy-turvy, aren't they? Even among God's people, even in our churches, we have a desire to bring the world into the church. The, the intent 20 or 30 years ago, when all that first started, you know what, the, the heart, the, the purpose, what they were trying to do, I, I think was a noble thought and a noble idea, but it was against what God's method of doing things was. And their idea was, we want to make the truth more palatable to the world. But now they've brought the world into the church, and they've lost the truth. They haven't made it more palatable. They got rid of it. We need to have a revival of God's people in God's churches saying, we love God, not the world. How do we keep from drifting? Well, first of all, we better have the right affection. If we're loving the world and the things that are in the world, I promise you it's going to draw us. We're going to go right along with it. Oh, how we've got to be careful. I grew up down in Florida, and I uh, had uh, a friend of mine that was a really good snook fisherman, and we would go out into the Indian River uh, channel of the Indian River, the intercoastal waterway there off the east coast of Florida, and we would fish sometimes. And we, when we did snook fishing, it was after dark and really late at night. And I remember going out with him one night, one of the first times I ever went out with him, and there was another uh, fellow with another boat that we knew that was about probably 100 yards or so away. We could see each other's boats and lights and everything. And I noticed as we put in, we stopped and we were uh, fishing for a while, I noticed that uh, we were seemed to be still the same place where we always were because I kept looking over and the guy's still sitting there pretty much where he was at. And we stayed there till it started getting kind of dark or kind of light in the morning, the gray of the sun coming up and the sky. And all of a sudden, I realized we were about 15 miles, maybe 10 miles, 
from where we had put in at. And even though all through the night we were still in the same position with that boat, we were nowhere near where we started from. And can I tell you this? It was a shocking thing to realize that all of that took place and I didn't even know it. And can I tell you this? One of the dangers of the Christian life when our affections are not what they should be is that we will drift, and here's the sad part, we won't even know it. The second thing that we've got to do in order to keep from drifting is found in 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. First Corinthians chapter 16, and we'll find in verse number 13. Paul writes again to the church at Corinth. He says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. Can I tell you this? The second thing that we've got to have in order to keep from drifting is the right vision. The right vision. You know what? Sometimes we get so uh, distracted with living life that we never take the time to stop and look at what's going on. Uh, The Bible says this, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The word circum means circle or around, if you will. Circumnavigate, that means to go around. Circumference is the outer part around of the circle. And, and, And speckly deals with our vision, circumspectly looking around, being aware, watchful, vigilant. For our adversary the devil walketh as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We need to have the right vision. One of the problems that we have many times that I think is a travesty is we stick our heads in the sand and go about our life never willing to defend the truth of God's Word because we don't even see that we're drifting. There's got to be a right vision. I remember when I was growing up, uh, when I was in, in sixth grade, I told the teacher, I said, I can't see the board. She would write problems, math problems on the board. And I was sitting in the back of the class, and she thought maybe I was just trying to get up to be with one of my friends closer up. And she, for several weeks, she kept me in the back of the class. And I kept telling her, I said, I promise you I cannot see the, what you've written on the board. I said, would you even let me walk up closer? I don't even need to sit and change seats. Can I at least walk up, copy it down, and then go back to my desk? And finally, she let me do that. And I could walk up to the blackboard uh, about seven or eight feet from it, and I could write down what was in there. So finally, after this goes on, she realizes I really can't see the board from the back of the room. And she said to my dad one day, she said, I think uh, Greg needs to go have his eyes checked. And uh, I, uh, my dad, <laughs> you had to know him, he didn't go to a doctor for anything. Uh, if, if we got hurt when we were kids, unless we were seriously injured, he would just say, rub some dirt in it or be rough and tough like alligator baggies, you know. And uh, we just, you know, kept going on. We didn't go to the doctor. And uh, I don't know how in the world my dad did this, but he, I went up to his office that day. He called me up there. He had an eye chart from a doctor's office in his office. He stuck that thing on the wall, put me about two feet from it, said, read the bottom line. And I read it because it was, I was like two feet from it. He said, you're okay, boy. Go back to school. I struggled. My grades went down. I was having a hard time. Finally, my mom... Praise the Lord for moms. Amen. 
said, honey, I think maybe we might need to take him and get his eyes checked. They took me to the doctor and didn't realize I was about half blind. And uh, back then, you didn't have these one-hour opticals. You know, we went to Ecker Drugs, and you ordered your glasses, and about 13 days they came in, you know. And I, I was in sixth grade. I, was ex- I wasn't one of these people that thought, man, I'm going to be like a nerd if I get glasses. I was excited to get glasses. I thought, man, this is going to be awesome. Get to wear glasses, look smart, you know. And I got my glasses. I'll never forget this. I got my glasses there in the Eckerd Pharmacy. We walked out to the register to pay for our glasses, my glasses. I did not know that you could read the prices on the items behind the counter. I never knew people could see those. It wasn't that I used to and I had lost that ability. I never had had that ability. I walked outside. I did not know that from a distance you could see individual blades of grass. Folks, I'm not lying to you. I never knew that. Now, I knew when you rolled around in the grass you could see it. But from 10 feet away, I looked at a tree. It was across the parking lot. I saw individual branches and leaves for the first time in my life from a distance. I thought I was the $6 million man, and he had given me a bionic eye. I'm not kidding you. Man, I thought I was superhuman at sixth grade. I had never known you could see like that. Can I tell you this? Some of us are in need of God to reach down and touch our spiritual eyes. Because some of us have never known that we could see through spiritual eyes. Oh, that God would give us some eyes that would look around and see what's going on. That we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, folks. We're wrestling against principalities and powers. We're wrestling against the rulers of darkness of this world. May God help us to understand that. I'll tell you this, it'll change how we live. It'll change how we vote. It'll change how we pray for our leaders. We better have good vision. Number three, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Are you okay if we go a minute or two over today? All right. Maybe three or four minutes over. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. We've already been there once. And verse number 15. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. If I get in the right book here, I was in First Thessalonians. Sorry about that. Chapter number 2 and verse number 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by our epistles. May I say this thirdly, we better have the right examples in our life. We better have the right people that we look to for guidance who is the greatest example that you and I can look to for, for guidance in this life? Jesus Christ. The Bible says that He has left us an example that we should follow in His steps. We have an example of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I promise you, when you look at the life of Christ, you will find no drifting. 
If we have the right hero, if we have the right one that we look up to, and I, I, don't want to, I don't want to be sacrilegious and call Jesus our hero, but he ought to be the one that we look to with admiration and say, that's what I want to strive to be like. I don't care at all to be like a basketball player or a football player or a musician or some Hollywood actor. I could care less about being like them. But I certainly want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we better have a right example. A right example. And then I want to share with you the last thing today. We need to have the right affection. We need to have the right vision. We need to have the right example. And this last one is found in 2 Timothy. And can I tell you, this is going to be the hardest one for you and I to deal with. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Once again, you'll have to forgive me. I was using my dad's Bible again. There we go. 2 Timothy chapter 3, look with me in verse number 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus. What are the next three words? Does it say they might? No, it says they shall. It's the hardest one. It's the one that we fail in most often. Number four, we've got to be willing to pay the cost of standing. We have got to be willing to pay the cost of standing. There's a price for it. It says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Don't expect to stand fast and not have some kind of attack spiritually against you. Don't expect to be an example in this world, to be a testimony for God, and expect there to be just roses in the pathway every day of your life. There is a price to be paid. If we are choosing the life of not drifting, we need to be willing up front to pay the cost. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Can I tell you this? That the stronger we stand and are steadfast, the greater the persecution will become. It may start off small, but as we continue and as the world gets worse, the persecution gets worse. I have seen more in the last three years of my life with regards to persecution of religion and persecution of those that hold to the morals and the values of an almighty God than I have in all of my life put together. And it ought not surprise us as we realize we are living in the last days. I think we can be disappointed by it. I think we can certainly pray for God to send relief from it. But the truth of the matter is the persecution is going to become greater and greater as we continue to stand. There's going to be times that there may even be legislation saying that what we stand for is wrong and deviant and against the law. And we're going to have to be put to a tough choice. Are we willing to pay the cost? I often have thought as a young person, if my testimony in my life ever came to a point 
of being put to the test where I had to choose between being faithful or dying. I've often thought that I would be willing to die to remain faithful. But the truth is, the test of that will never be known until that day and that moment happens. But I'll give you a very good indicator that I have found over the years. That if we're not willing to live for God while the religious liberty is here, if we're not willing to stand fast while we have the ability to stand fast, we will never do it when the persecution comes. We've got to be willing to pay the cost. Paul finishes in verse number 14 of 2 Timothy chapter, two, uh, chapter 3, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. We've talked so much about this thing of drifting, how dangerous it is, how much it's easy to do if we're not careful. But sometimes it helps us to know how do we avoid it. How do we keep from drifting? And hopefully these will be a help to you. All right? If you're able to, let's stand together, shall we? I think we will have just a hymn of invitation this morning, this afternoon. And uh, this is one of those messages that I think is uh, needful for us to make a response to. And if God has spoken to your heart, perhaps you would respond to that. Father, we pray that you'll bless the invitation time. Lord, we're living in a day where we are in so much need of your people standing fast. May you help us. When we fail and when we fall, that we would get up and dust ourselves off and stand again. May you bless the invitation, use it as you would see fit, and do as you would in the hearts of men. We pray in Jesus' name.